Love Talk Radio. Son of a peach. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Um, got an awesome show for you. I don't have the stories in order, which means I'm a colossal failure at life. Um, but that's okay, because I will try to put it in some sort of cockamamie order as I talk to you and as I'm doing the intro. <laughs> Oh, I'm the biggest mess in the world. Um, So we got some funny stuff today. Uh, Do the words giant Biden mean anything to you? Giant Biden. Probably not, right? Um, Well, it will in a little bit. In fact, I think I'm going to do that. I'm not going to lead with that story. I think I'll do that as the second story. Um... We have some Trump news, Trump news in regards to social media. Um, You're not going to want to miss that. It's actually two pieces of news. Trump has his own little thing that that he started up, and also Facebook released their findings or made their final decision, I should say, in regards to Trump and uh, whether or not he's going to be allowed back on the platform. That's, That's a bit of breaking news. We actually just got that news. Um, right before I came on air. So there is a lot of stuff to talk about today. All the Cuomos are in the show. The Cuomos are in the show, both Chris and Andrew. So we will be making fun of them. Um, That's not going to be until about halfway through the show. And then I have more woke CIA stuff. More woke CIA stuff. You can't go wrong with that. 
Um, that was a viral story the other day on Twitter. <clears throat> and um, they just keep, they're in a hole and they just keep digging. So, all right, without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. And uh, I do want to do that with Trump and social media. Here we go. So I just got some breaking news about five minutes ago, right before I came on air. Apparently, Facebook has made the decision to keep Trump off of their platform. Um, I don't know how long this decision lasts. I don't know if they're going to revisit it again. But the announcement as of right now, based on limited details, because I haven't had time to go through the articles, because all I've seen is the headlines, because the story just came out, um, Trump is seemingly permanently off of Facebook. So he's been banned from Twitter, he's been banned from Facebook, and uh, for those of you who don't know, Facebook has this oversight board that they call this independent oversight board, which makes decisions for stuff like this, and uh, it's a way for Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook to try to distance themselves and pretend like there's some amount of objectivity when they make decisions like this, and, you know, I've been critical for a very long time. I think the idea of setting up a ministry of truth, if you will, is uh, incredibly Orwellian. It's definitely authoritarian. I don't care that a private company is doing it. it the, the principle of the thing remains, which is you're giving a group of people the ability to ban at their whim. And so I have to say, I struggle with this decision. I get it, man. I understand. Trump's terrible. Trump's horrible. Trump's a war criminal. Trump did egg on an attempted insurrection, but I do think he spoke out of both sides of his mouth during that whole fiasco. I do think on the one hand, he was like, everybody go home and be peaceful. We love our cops. But the election was definitely stolen, and maybe somebody should do something about this. But you should also totally be peaceful and go home. He spoke out of both sides of his mouth. And so to ban him over this permanently, not sure I buy it. Also just don't like the precedent that's been set. And you guys know I've... uh, We've talked about this in detail. A good example is on Reddit, they banned the Donald, but then they also banned the Chapo Trap House Reddit. You know, on Twitter, there's been a number of extremists on the right who have been banned, but then there's also been a number of prominent Antifa accounts that have been banned. So in other words, it's a package deal. If you say, I want to get rid of the extremists on the right, then they're going to come for the so-called extremists on the left. And there doesn't have to actually be an equivalence. All there has to be is somebody that would make the argument that there's an equivalence. And then Facebook and Twitter and all the social media companies are going to cave. And they're going to try to have some degree of parity. And they're going to ban people for political ideologies on both sides of the spectrum. And um, it's the slipperiest, slippery slope of all time. And we're already going down it. And so even though I know a lot of people out there are happy that, you know, hey, Trump's permanently gone. And I get the feeling at a visceral level why you would be happy about that. But in terms of the precedent that's set, it's actually disastrous. And um, I really think that the solution is to have all the big social media companies regulated like public utilities. And so the First Amendment is expanded into the digital sphere and you have free speech rights. That's what I think the solution is. I know a lot of people out there disagree with me, but uh, unfortunately, this is just the beginning. And I think there's going to be hell of a lot of banning and censoring and deplatforming and all sorts of stuff going on. And um, Trump wasn't even the real first example. The real first example was Alex Jones. And now you have the former president of the United States who was uh, 
fallen victim to this. So it is what it is, um, and I, I fear what's going to happen now as time goes by. Now, having said all that, there's another part to this story, which is Trump, in his desperation, was telling the media, hey, guys, I'm going to set up my own social media company. So everybody keep your eyes peeled for that because it's going to be an awesome social media company. You're not going to want to miss this. It's going to be the next big thing. And then we finally, just yesterday, got the launch of this social media site. Let me tell you a little bit about it. This is from Mediaite. They say the following. Former President Donald Trump launched a long-awaited platform on Tuesday to communicate with his followers outside of social media. The platform, which took the appearance of a blog at www.donaldjtrump.com desk, displayed a number of Twitter-sized messages as of Tuesday afternoon alongside buttons offering readers the option of sharing them on Twitter and Facebook, a third heart-shaped, heart-shaped button analogous to the like buttons appearing on social media websites, also appeared, though it appeared to lack any functionality as of Tuesday. The page became public the same day that Facebook was expected to announce whether Trump's suspension from that website would be permanent. A source familiar with the situation told Fox News, sorry for the beeping in the background, this laptop is shit. The page became public the same day Facebook was expected to announce whether Trump's suspension for the website would be permanent. A source familiar with the situation told Fox News, the new site was intended to facilitate one-way communication, adding, quote, this system allows Trump to communicate with his followers. So I need you to understand what went down here. What went down is Donald Trump was like, damn, I'm getting, I got banned from Twitter. I'm getting banned from Facebook. I have very few popular social media sites left to go to, if any. I have to create my own. What he did was, on his own website, created a a portion of it called Desk, where he copies the look of Twitter and tries to communicate with his followers. And by communicate, I just mean he barks at them and monologues at them, because it's not a social media site in that people can respond. It's a one-way communication site. It's just him having a blog on his own website. This guy is amazing. The balls on this man, the nerve. To just fl- he was just flat out lying to the media when he was like, we're going to launch our own social media website. It's going to be tremendous. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be out of this world. All he did was go on his own website and set up a blog and pretended like this is going to be some new big social media thing. And the reason he did that was to try to get as many eyeballs on it as possible in the hopes that when it launches, people will keep going back and keep looking at whatever the hell he's saying. He basically tried to create his own version of Twitter on his own website for just himself. That is without a doubt the saddest thing I've ever heard and also one of the funniest things I've ever heard. It's so Trumpian. It's more Trumpian than I even thought was capable of Trump himself. You know what this reminds me of? This is random, but this is what popped in my mind as I was reading through this. This reminds me of during the 2016 campaign when you had interviewers who would bring up his his bankruptcies. They would bring him up to his face and ask him various questions about it. And what Trump would do inevitably is he would say, 
Rome. I've never been bankrupt. That's not true. That's fake news. Can't believe you're spreading fake news. This is unacceptable. I dislike what you're saying. I can't believe you do this. Why would you say such a thing? It's terrible. I've never gone bankrupt. And so you hear that, and what do you walk away from the interview believing? He, his denials were so vehement that you're like, I don't know, maybe he didn't go bankrupt. And it would be dependent on you to do further research to know whether or not it's true that he went bankrupt. You want to know the Weasley thing he was doing? He's technically correct. He personally never went bankrupt. But his businesses went bankrupt at least six times. And so when people would ask him the question, they'd be referring to the business bankruptcies, but he would pivot and just say, I've never been bankrupt. So in other words, he's pivoting to personal bankruptcies when really they're asking him about the business bankruptcies, and he'd rather like effectively lie and dodge by saying, I've personally never gone bankrupt. And so he's using a technicality to try to weasel out of it. He knows he went bankrupt, his businesses went bankrupt six times. He knows that, but he doesn't want to talk about that. So he just dodges and says, fake news, I never went bankrupt. That's exactly what this reminds me of. Because he told the media, I'm launching my own social media website. It's going to be awesome. You guys got to come check it out. It's going to be the next big thing. It's just a blog on his own website. So he was lying. He knows he was lying. But he tried to hit them with some sort of technicality if people bring it up. I did learn something, and there is some sort of communication on it, and it is kind of like social media. And sure, it happens to be on my own website. I'm the only one who could use it. But hey, close enough. It's so Trumpian. It's the most Trumpian thing of all time. But listen, we discussed this on the last show. Bro, what's your end game, dog? What's your end game? He's becoming more and more irrelevant now that he's absent from the public eye. And, you know, you hate to say it, but in a certain sense, deplatforming him worked. And again, I use, I put work like this because. I don't think the real question is whether or not it works. That shouldn't be the way you analyze whether or not it's the right thing to do. I think you should make decisions more based off of principle. But, like, yes, if if the idea was let's limit his reach as much as possible, this definitely worked because he's been absent from the public eye, largely speaking, and his popularity has not plummeted. He's 32% favorable. And for the first time ever, now, for the first time since 2016, Republicans now identify more with the Republican Party than they do with Trump, whereas before it was the opposite. So this is a desperate attempt to stay relevant. And the most hilarious part is even given all these things, he'd still be the favorite in the Republican primary if he were to run again. Like, who's going to topple him? Nikki Haley? is going Ted Cruz? Who's going to topple him? Nobody's going to fucking topple him. So even though he's got all these things against him, and he's becoming more and more irrelevant, and he's still got a stranglehold on the party, which is amazing. But there you go. The charlatan con man fraud is up to his usual charlatan activities, con man activities, and fraud activities. Okay. All right, next. Let's laugh together. What do you guys say? I think we should laugh together. That's what we're going to do. So this thing that you're about to see blew up online. It went viral. Um, It is inadvertently hilarious 
And it's amazing to me that nobody behind the scenes at the White House or nobody behind the scenes um, at the Carter Foundation spotted this before they released it. So um, I believe it was the Carter Foundation who originally tweeted this out. It's a picture of Joe Biden, Jill Biden, and uh, Jimmy Carter and Rosalind Carter. And look, you'll be able to determine what the issue is. Just take a look at it. Sweet Jesus, Joe. When did you become Shaq size? Homeboy looks like Andre the Giant. And for those of you who don't get that old school reference, let's update it slightly. He looks like the big show from WWE. What on earth is going Is Biden eight feet tall? Or is Rosalind Carter like three foot two? What even Jill Biden compared to Jimmy Carter? What is happening here? What is happening? So they tweeted this out, and everybody, they just acted like there was nothing strange about it, nothing weird about it. And there's actually something kind of charming about that, because I know from doing this show, you guys would be surprised. First of all, everything's always a mess. Nothing's ever really in order. Nothing's ever really going as it's planned or scheduled to go. You're always scrambling. The most basic shit you can think of, something goes wrong. You know, we were dealing with this for a long time. With Crystal Kyle and friends, with our our audio for a while, we were dealing with this. Where we kept, you know, in theory, everything on paper was done exactly right, and we were struggling with the audio, trying to figure out what it was. It took us, like, you know, whatever, six, seven, eight weeks before we were like, oh, this this is the thing. you got to do that with the thing. The most simple things, and then something goes wrong, there's background noise or whatever. And even with the team of people who know what they're doing, you can't get it all figured out. And so now you know whether it's the White House or whether it's, you know, Jimmy Carter and his people, nobody stopped to look at this picture and say, hmm, something seems off here. And so they released it, and the Internet uh, was given viral meme gold. So anyway, um, it no, it's actually not the case that Jill and Joe are – colossal human beings are gargantuan. No. Uh, What happened was, this is a relatively small room, and they're using a a wide-angle lens. And apparently when you use that kind of a lens in a tiny room, it distorts the way the the image looks on the edges. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. Beyond that, there's also, I think, a flash was engaged and or disengaged or something, and as a result of that, there's, issue, there's an issue with the shadows. And so what you don't see from this picture is that Joe Biden is actually significantly in front of Rosalind Carter, and uh, Jill Biden is significantly in front of Jimmy Carter. And so you don't get a sense of that. They look like they're kind of right next to each other, and therefore... Biden looks like a giant, and both Bidens look like giants, and they look tiny. But in reality, he's a lot closer to the camera, which means he's going to look bigger naturally. The shadows are all messed up because of the flash situation, and it's a wide-angle lens, which is going to distort the edges and make them look bigger. So, but it do- doesn't matter. This is one of the most hilarious photos I've ever seen in my life, um, and I would love for more fuck-ups like this because it just brings a smile to everybody's face. In otherwise dark times, what could be funnier than an inadvertently hilarious picture of Joe Biden looking like a freak?
<laughs> looking like looking like he never stopped growing his entire life. I mean, I don't want to I hope this doesn't offend anybody because I don't mean it in a negative sense, but like he looks like he has that gigantism issue, you know, where I think Andre the Giant did have that or something with his pituitary gland and his body couldn't regulate his height, so he just kept growing and growing and growing. It looks like Joe Biden has it. It looks like Joe Biden should be playing one-on-one with Yao Ming in his spare time. That's what it looks like. And um, I am so happy that nobody caught this behind the scenes before they released it and gave us a moment of joy to see a hilarious image that has very serious issues with its perception. That's probably not the best way to describe it. It's an, an image that has very serious distortion issues. That's a better way to describe it. I, I would love for them to make a thing of this now. Imagine they purposefully try to have Joe Biden look gigantic in every picture now. This reminds me of uh, somebody who was doing this bit on Twitter that was hilarious, where remember when Trump touched the Saudi Arabian orb with the Saudi king and some other world leaders? I think it was uh, Egypt, CC. They touched the glowing orb, and that picture blew up online. Somebody did a hilarious bit on Twitter where they said, like, ever since Trump touched the orb, his arms have been growing. And they photoshopped images to show Trump's arms getting bigger and bigger and bigger to eventually the point where they were, like, dragging on the ground. And I'm such a child, I laughed at that for way longer than I should have. For way longer than it's socially acceptable to laugh at something like that. Well, anyway, it would be great if the White House or, you know, the Carter folks ran with this with Biden and in every picture made him seem like a giant. On that alone he would become much more likable. Okay, I'll put aside the war crimes for a little bit if you go with the funny bit of Biden being a giant. Okay. Next. All right. We got to go to Dr. Fauci now. So we're getting some bad news that Joe Biden is, um, he's allegedly made up his mind on this thing called the TRIPS waiver, which is, it would lift the patent protection and the intellectual property rights for big pharma to create the vaccine and only big pharma to create the COVID vaccine. Um, The question is whether or not to allow anybody who can to make generic versions of the vaccine to get as many shots in people's arms as possible. Um, Biden's been considering lifting the patent protections for like months now dragging his feet. And there's speculation the reason he's dragging his feet is because he just doesn't support it, but he doesn't want the negative press of saying, I don't support it. So um, Dr. Fauci went on Mehdi Hassan's show, and uh, Mehdi does a decent job here asking him a real question, a serious question about uh, the decision. And let's see how Fauci squirms, then I'm going to come back and break it down. There's 
increasing pressure on the president, as you know, to ignore Big Pharma and temporarily waive patent protections on the COVID vaccine. 60 countries led by India and South Africa, 100 members of the U.S. Congress, 100 Nobel laureates, multiple former world leaders, your friend, Dr. Tedros, the head of the World Health Organization, they all say it's the right thing to do to help developing countries in particular. You seem to disagree, according to an interview you did with the FT yesterday. Why are they all wrong, Dr. Fauci? No, no, they're, they're not all wrong, and I don't necessarily disagree. I'm really quite agnostic on that. My approach is that the end game is where I want to go. I want to see people now in the developing countries getting vaccinated. However you do that as quickly as possible is fine with me. One of the complicating issues of the so-called waiving the patents is that by the time you then get set up to get the technology transferred to other countries to be able to do it, you may be going into the end of 2022, the beginning of 2023, at which point a lot of people will have died. So I'm not against transferring technology, and I'm agnostic about the TRIPS waiver. The one thing I am bullish on, and I'm going to how can you be do, how can you be agnostic, though? How can you be agnostic? You're the chief medical advisor. If the president says, Dr. Fauci, what should I do? What's no. your advice? What are you going to tell him? I'm telling get people vaccinated as quickly as you possibly can. If that means getting billions of doses from companies and getting it to the people in the low- and middle-income countries at a very, very low price that they can afford, do it and do it now. Because if you want to start transferring technology, you're going to get it to them a year and a half from now. So I can be agnostic about it. My only concern is I care about people getting vaccinated. However you do that, go for it and do it now. So I don't know if he's lying or if he's just incredibly naive and he's been duped. It has to be one of those two things. Either he's a liar or he's been duped by the pharma propaganda. It's one or the other. So he's saying it's going to take over a year to send the vaccine technology. That is 100% false, without a doubt. That is untrue. And we know that's untrue because you have people who have the ability to make generic versions of the vaccine. They've gone to the media and they've begged the international community. And they said, for the love of God, let us make generic versions of the COVID vaccine. We have the ability to do it. We can start doing it right now. The only thing that they fear is that pharma sues the hell out of them and absolutely destroys them if they dare to make generic versions of the vaccine. So they want the green light from the international community and from pharma. So what he's saying is, oh, no, I care about getting as many shots in arms as quickly as possible, and I'm not sure if this is the right way to do that. It could take over a year to get this this technology if you waive the patent rights, so maybe this isn't the most effective way to do it. That is definitely not true. So either Fauci's lying and he knows he's lying, or Fauci has been in on the meetings with Joe Biden and the rest of his staff, and according to all the reporting, they're they're split. And half of them are like, are you insane? Of course you lift the patent protections. There's a global pandemic. If you don't vaccinate everybody as soon as possible, there's going to come a variant at some point that's 
the vaccines cannot handle, and then everybody's fucked again, and we're right back to square one. How the hell could you say no? And then the other half, probably led by big pharma lobbyists who are in the room for these conversations, have a whole boatload of rationalizations. And they say, oh, no, you don't understand. The problem is that we can't guarantee the safety of the generic vaccines. And it would hurt us ever so much if some unsafe batches were made and then people get hurt. And we can't have that on our conscience because we care so deeply about people in rural India. And so that's why we can't do this. We can't do this because... If we do lift the patent protections, it's going to take over a year to get them the technology anyway. So what's the point? Why would we do such a thing? Guys, in the first three months of this year, Pfizer has made $3.5 billion on their vaccine. You want to know why? They don't want to give people the ability to make generic vaccines. That's why. It's all about the profits. It's all about the profits. If you ruthlessly enforce patent protection and intellectual property rights, well, then they make all the profit. And then if anybody were to make the generic vaccine, you sue them, sue the pants off of them, and you win. So all it comes down to is the bottom line. All it comes down to is the profit. So every argument that they're giving as to why they can't allow anybody who can to make the generic versions of the vaccine, every argument is complete and utter horseshit. And by the way, I'm floored, absolutely floored. I really do think there are people who are naive enough and dumb enough to believe the rationalizations from Big Pharma and their lobbyists. And honestly, even Biden might be in that category. Biden might even be in that category because it looks like he's actually made the decision. No, we're not going to get rid of the patent protections. And either he... He understands to his core, I'm corrupt, and I'm doing the bidding of Big Pharma to protect their profits. Either he knows that in his heart, or any of a number of the bullshit arguments that the pharma lobbyists made, one of them landed, and he was like, oh, well, I would do it, but I was told this. And again, with Fauci, I don't know, you make up your own mind. Is he lying on purpose? Is he also in bed with Big Pharma and lying on their behalf? Or was he really convinced by that nonsense argument, which is easily debunkable? Oh, it's going to take a year, year and a half in order to get the stuff to them anyway. By the way, let's, for a second, let's say that is true, even though it's not. Definitely not, but let's say it is true. Even in that scenario, being agnostic makes no sense. Because one of the avenues to try to get more shots and more arms is to lift the patent protections, regardless of how long it takes for them to get the technology, because then when they do get the technology, more shots will be given out. So to say you're agnostic, it doesn't make any sense. Even if I grant you it's going to take a year and a half, even though it's not, still doesn't make any sense. And just so you know, the way they're approaching it with the world now is this COVAX program, which Bill Gates played a part in, And basically what that is, is the rich nations do charity for the developing nations, and they donate vaccines. But here's the thing. They are so woefully short of what would be necessary that it's laughable. I mean, the plan is a joke. You need billions of shots. I I don't even know if they've hit 1% of the number of shots that they need. The donation approach is not enough 
you need all hands on deck. You need to do every single thing you possibly can to vaccinate the entire world. And by the way, think about this. Think about this. What if the United States approached this like a new Marshall Plan? What if the United States approached this with World War II level certainty, with World War II level wide scale all hands on deck approach? What if we did that? What if we treated it like everything depended on it? And we did everything in our power to get as many shots and as many arms as possible. And we succeeded within a reasonable time frame. What if we did that? Even from the, the selfish U.S. imperialist perspective, that would be the best thing you could ever do. Because you just gained a lot of goodwill with every country in the world. And so all the attempts of China and Russia to undermine uh, U.S. hegemony, it would fall flat because they think, yeah, but in my moment of need, it was the U.S. that came and they vaccinated us. And it was the U.S. that defeated COVID-19. So even if you want to look at this from a, from a selfish, imperialist, world soul superpower perspective, there's no better way to verify your role and reassert your role as the indispensable nation. But the way we act is the exact opposite. We invade countries illegally, occupy them forever, we protect the patents for greedy pharma companies to protect their profits over the lives of people in developing countries. We couldn't undermine ourselves anymore if we wanted to. We couldn't do it. And then meanwhile, you got China. They're doing the Belt and Road Initiative, which is building infrastructure in developing countries. It's easy for them to swoop in and say, we're the ones who are going to help you. Look, it's your time of need. We're helping you and we shoot ourselves in the foot. So again, either everybody who's in on this decision-making process, who are not the lobbyists, because the lobbyists know they're lying, but everybody who's in on it who's not the lobbyists, they're just complete dupes. They're, they're massive morons who fall for weak propaganda. Either that's the case, or it really is as nefarious as possible, and people are twisting their evil mustache in a smoke-filled back room, and they're like, we are corrupt, and we are doing the bidding of these companies. They legally bribe me every time there's a, a campaign. They give me money, so they scratch my back. I'm going to scratch theirs. And they want me to protect their profits, so I'm going to protect their profits. I'm not going to lift the patent protections. And people in the developing world, screw them. By the way, let's call it what it is. To not allow generic vaccines, to not allow anybody who can make COVID vaccines to make COVID vaccines, when we have the ability to let them do that. It's genocidal. What we're doing is genocidal. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions more people will die as a result of this decision from the U.S. government. And our leading health expert is agnostic. Oh, I'm agnostic on the pro-genocide and anti-genocide position. They should be shamed into oblivion over this. This is... This is right up there with what's happening in Yemen and how we're aiding and assisting that genocide. This is right up there. This is really as bad as it gets. Okay, next. I know all of you are incredibly excited for this. Caitlyn Jenner is officially running for California governor, and she released her first ad. Today's Olympic gold medalist, Caitlyn Jenner, 
I've always been a dreamer. California was once the envy of the world. We had what everyone else wanted. The American dream grew up here. Yet career politicians and their policies have destroyed that dream. It's been locked away, closed, shuttered, left in the dark, burned down. The government is now involved in every part of our lives. They've taken our money, our jobs, and our freedom. California needs a disruptor, a compassionate disruptor. I came here with a dream 48 years ago to be the greatest athlete in the world. Now I enter a different kind of race, arguably my most important one yet, to save California. I want to carry the torch for the parents who had to balance work and their child's education, for business owners who were forced to shut down, for pastors who were not able to be with their congregation, for the family who lost their home in a fire, for an entire generation of students who lost a year of education. This past year has redefined our career politicians as elitists and the people of California as the warriors, the kings, and the angels. We never take kindly to glass ceilings here. Instead, we shatter them. We're the trailblazers, the innovators. California is facing big hurdles. Now, we need leaders who are unafraid to leap to new heights. He does not want to finish record in this place. He wants the world record. Who are unafraid to challenge and to change the status quo. I want to prove that it is absolutely possible if we only together. California, it's time to reopen our schools, reopen our businesses, reopen the Golden Gate. So I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, I'm ready to be governor for all Californians. To reclaim our true identity, to bring back the gold to the Golden State. I want a tremendous victory. Now is the time to achieve that summit, to be the shining city on the hill, and together, will restore and renew the California dream. It's about what happens from here. It's not just about one person. It's about all of us. A lot of Trump's people are working on Caitlyn Jenner's campaign now. As of the recording of this segment that you're watching, um, she's supposed to be on Hannity tonight. She's serious about it. She's serious about this. Now, I love that ad. You go back and watch it. There wasn't a single policy position that was mentioned. There were hints at policy positions, but there was no clear policy position that was laid out. My favorite fact about her launching her campaign she was asking for donations, and people would go to her page, and there wouldn't even be a section that talks about policy positions. She launched, and there were no policy positions. How are you supposed to know whether or not you support her? She really wants you to believe, like, oh, Caitlyn Jenner, transgender Republican, person I know from keeping up with the Kardashians, so on and so forth. Vote for me because you like me. 
That's how she wants people to make this decision. There were no policy positions on her page. None. In this ad, no policy positions. So let's go through some of this stuff because I find this incredible. So one of the points she makes is California was the envy of the world. We have the American dream. Basically, we don't have it anymore. I want to bring that back. What she won't tell you is this. There was a study that came out about five years or so ago, and they found that, indeed, the American dream is not really American anymore. You know who has the American dream more so than we do? Canada. And the way they defined it is the ability to climb up that economic ladder for the next generation to do better than, the first, than this generation. We don't do well on that metric. Canada crushes us on that met- metric. So the American dream is really the Canadian dream. So now I ask Caitlyn Jenner, okay, you want to bring back the American dream? You want to copy some of Canada's policies? Like, for example, universal health care? I can't hear you, Caitlin. I can't hear you over your wrongness. She says, uh, California has been locked away and closed. So this is, I think this is really the crux of what she's running on, which is she wants to open everything back up. And, okay, fair enough. I get it. Anybody who's been on COVID lockdown for an extended period of time, everybody's going to get antsy. Everybody's going to want to open things back up. Everybody's going to want to go back to some semblance of normalcy. I understand that instinct for sure. But that in and of itself is not a policy approach. That in and of itself is not the end-all be-all with the direction that you should want to take your state. But that really is the sense that you get from her. It's like her biggest bone to pick is that, okay, we were locked down too long, and so I want to open up. Okay, open up, and then what? And then what? Like, what else? you got to give me something else. And what are your COVID mitigation plans if there's a, you know, a full reopening? Or do you want to do universal masks? Do you want to open up everything? Universal masks sort of is necessary now, isn't it? But there's nothing on that. And then she calls herself a compassionate disruptor. A compassionate disruptor. That's hilarious. So she's trying, because California is such a deep blue state, you can't run as a Republican who argues like, I'm a serious, far-right, hardcore, conservative Republican, so you need to take the rough edges off, because again, it's such a democratic state. And so instead of just being a disruptor, she's a compassionate disruptor, sort of a play on George W. Bush when he called himself a compassionate conservative when he originally ran. And then there's just a lot of stuff about her. Hey, I came here to be the best athlete in the world. I don't really care. I don't care about your personal story. I don't care about your biography. I care about what you're committed to in terms of policy and how you're going to fight for it. That's all I care about. I really don't care about the rest of it. But the rest of it is what she sort of wants to coast on because she's seen, for example, Arnold Schwarzenegger win as governor in California. Ronald Reagan was an actor, and then he became California governor. Of course, he became president as well, but he was California governor. Um, oh, and I'm, I'm, I'm burying the lead here a little bit. I'll get to it in a second, but... The closest we come to anything involving policy is she just lists groups of people. Like she's in favor of parents. She's in favor of business owners. She's in favor of pastors. She's in favor of fire victims. That's the closest we get to any policy positions. I notice who she didn't say. She didn't say unions. She didn't say teachers. She's, it's, it's the wink and the nod to the more conservative special interests. You know, business owners is the big one that's the big giveaway. Pastors, that's a, that's a wink and a nod to like, 
oh, churches were shut down while other things were opened. I think that there's like unfair bigotry against Christians or whatever. Um, the, but the best part, here it is. She says, our career, career politicians are elitists. Caitlyn Jenner is going to talk about elitists. Caitlyn Jenner is going to talk about elitists. Weren't you on Keeping Up with the Kardashians for like 712 years? Aren't you a giant celebrity? Don't you have, listen, I don't know. I'm going to look this up in real time as I'm talking to you right now. Doesn't she have maybe over $100 million? Caitlyn Jenner net worth 2021. Let's see. $100 million. Caitlyn Jenner's net worth is $100 million according to Celebrity Network. Now, sometimes these things are off. So even if you're incredibly kind to Caitlyn Jenner and cut it in half, let's do that. Cut it in half. $50 million. You cannot accuse anybody else of elitism. You are the elitist. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. And of course, listen, I can't get through a segment on Caitlyn Jenner without bringing up the obvious. She's a transgender woman, and she was against gay marriage. And she even made the argument, I'm, I'm a traditional woman. She's so traditional, she's against gay marriage, but she's trans, and so she wants all the acceptance for trans people in the world, but she doesn't want acceptance for gay people who happen to be married. So it's only for her that she demands the sympathy and the acceptance. For you, whoever your thing is, no, I don't want to hear it. She also, by the way, killed somebody with her car. Probably the biggest thing. Now, you want to talk about elitism. If she, was, if she wasn't who she is, would she have gotten away with that? If her name was Jamal and she lived in Harlem and she killed somebody with her car, would she have gotten away with that? No, right? Because we have at least two tiers in our justice system, probably more. But she's the elitist. She's rich. She's famous. She's the fraction of the top 1%. And so for her to slam elitism and for her to call herself an outsider, my ass cheeks outsider, you want to do the same standard shit that other Republicans want to do. You want to cut taxes for the wealthy. You want to deregulate. You just want to open the economy and say, "Ah, fuck it, that's it, that's all I'm going to do. Aren't I such a hero? No, you're not. You're a deep, deep narcissist. All you care about is the self-aggrandizement. Not some sort of fucking hero. I mean, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. And, I mean, listen, a lot of people are going to say, hey, don't dismiss her. Because Arnold Schwarzenegger won. Donald Trump became president. So I guess I'll bite my tongue on the full dismissing of her chances. But it's hard to do that. It's hard for me to bite my tongue. It's hard. (laughs) I'm trying my best. It's hard. But there you have it. Caitlyn Jenner is serious about running for California governor, had a professional ad made, hired a lot of Trump's people. Um, She's going for it. She's going for it. But it's such a joke. And I'll leave it there because if I keep talking, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Okay, next.
this is one of my favorite stories of the day. Um, because it's just so goofy, it's so silly, it's so ridiculous, and the guy just wants attention. So we're going to give it to him. We're going to give it to him. Not necessarily the kind of attention he wants, but he's going to get some attention. So Milo Yanamahasamalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabalabal
And now he's showing a picture of the Holy Bible. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm calling bullshit. Which, granted, listen, that's not the hardest thing in the world to do. It's pretty obvious. But Homeboy didn't just throw $150,000 off the side of a boat in the middle of the ocean near Hawaii. He didn't do, Nobody's dumb enough to do that. Even fucking Jeff Bezos, who can wipe his asshole with $150,000. He probably makes that in a fraction of a second. Even he wouldn't do that. $150,000. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He didn't do it. Nonsense. So uh, if I had to guess, what he probably did was um, went and got one of those, you know, 25-cent rings. Remember those things from when you are younger at, like, the pizza place? You put the quarter in, and then you get, like, a cheap little plastic ring or whatever. He probably got one of those and threw that in the water. If I had to guess, I, I would guess that that's what it is. Um, and so let's go through some of the stuff here. He's right about one thing. He talks about how, like, diamonds are bullshit. Yeah, that's kind of true. And also, it's one of those things where I'm sure track where the materials come from on almost any diamond ring eventually you get to some sort of slave mine in Africa or something. And so, I mean, it's almost impossible to ethically shop because under our system, almost everything Somewhere down the line, there's some sort of underpaid labor or slave labor that's, you know, um, creating the product. So it's almost impossible to ethically shop, but that's one of the things where it seems almost extra egregious, where, like, the whole industry is just terrible across the board. So he's right about that. Diamonds are kind of bullshit. But um, he says it's a $150,000 ring, pretends to throw it in the ocean. He calls it the sodomy stone. Hilarious. Uh, I like the part where he's drinking and smoking and looking depressed. By the way, explain to me how that works, because he's pandering to the evangelical fundamentalist Christians. That's the whole point, is he's pandering to these people. And on the one hand, he's like, I will abide by all the dumb rules that you guys abide by. And on the other hand, he's like, well, let me hold on to other vices that you guys condemn. Evangelical fundamentalist Christians, they look down on, you know, alcoholics and people who smoke and so why is it that some of the vices are okay and other ones are not? I don't understand. You want to break this down for me, Milo? Why is it that, you know, I'm sure Milo still eats seafood and has shellfish, and that's equally condemned in the Bible like homosexuality is, but why is one okay and the other one's not okay? It's almost like you're just pandering and playing a role and not really doing a good job at it. So again, let's get to the heart of the issue here. Ex-gay is not a thing. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. And, you know, if you think for a second, hey, maybe it is a thing, maybe you can coach it out of yourself or whatever, do this very basic intellectual exercise. You watching this right now, whoever you may be, think about what you're into. Think about the things that are your go-tos, that are like, this is my, you know, this always gets me going, X, Y, or Z. There's all types of people out there. There's feet people. There's boob people. There, you name it, there's, it's out there. I'm going to cut myself off from going further down this road because we can get into some funky-ass territory if we keep going down this road. But you get the point. 
whatever you're into, could you imagine willing yourself out of it? Like, hey, I know I've always been into X, Y, and Z, but I feel like it's immoral, so now I will will myself out of X. It doesn't, it's not real, that's not a thing. Not a thing, it's not a thing. It almost is as ridiculous as saying, hey, I think that peeing is immoral, so I'm going to try to quit peeing. That's a thing that you're never going to be able to quit. You have to do it. By the same token, whatever is on your sexual map is on your sexual map. Now, there is some debate as to how people get to that point. Is it because you're, quote, unquote, born that way for everybody? Or were there things that happen in your developmental stages when you're very young that leave an imprint that then in the future become your things? We don't know exactly, but what we do know for sure is whatever's on that love map, it ain't going anywhere. That shit is set skis, dog. It is set. So to do the whole ex-gay thing, I mean, it's the most obvious grift of all time. The saddest thing I've ever seen. But the thing is, I know that Milo knows that. I know he knows that. So it's so shameless because he even looks in the mirror at the end of the day like, am I really going all the way with this? Homeboy did not quit dick. This guy wakes up in the morning and thinks about some gangly flesh tubes, and this guy goes to bed at night and thinks about some gangly flesh tubes. It's just part of who he is. And by the way, let's entertain for a second. Let's say he is sincere in trying to do this. It would be the most spectacular crash and burn failure of all time. Of all time. How long are you going to go, Milo, suppressing those urges? Three days? A week at most? Is that what you're going to do? And you're going to hide it while, you know, feeling shitty about yourself? I mean, come on. It's just, it's the dumbest thing ever. By the way, if there is a God, which we don't know if there is, but if there is, that motherfucker doesn't care about what you're doing in the bedroom. That motherfucker does not care about you beating off. He does not care about any of that stuff. And if this God does, that's the dumbest God I've ever heard in my life. Of all the things going on in the world, you have babies with cancer. You have a, a global pandemic. You have extreme poverty. In so many nations, they don't even have, you know, modern plumbing and they shit in the open. All these things going on. War, murder, and God is like, what are you doing with your dick? What are you guys doing sexually? I'm monitoring this. If you're worshiping that God, you should probably pick another fucking God. And don't worry, you've got plenty to pick from. There's thousands of different interpretations of God in all the various cultures and religions, so on and so forth. So just pick a better one. But this is where he's at. I really do think he knows it's bullshit. But I don't know what's funnier. It might even be funnier if he doesn't think it's bullshit and he's sincere. But what I'm convinced is bullshit is he didn't throw a $150,000 ring in the ocean. No way, Jose. Not even close. No way. Nobody's silly enough to do that. Nobody. So he just wants more attention. Congrats, Milo. You're getting it. But you're getting it from somebody who uh, sees through you from a million miles away. Final thing is this. I know somebody who knows him. I think when, you're, when you get to, like, the political world, um, new media political world, you're always, like, one or two steps removed from any of the other people who are in this field. 
And um, interestingly enough, this person has said about nobody else what they said about Milo, which is with Milo, I don't believe him. Even before his desperation phase, very simply, they were like, I don't believe him. I think he's putting on an act. I think the whole point is to get as many eyeballs on him as possible, to be as famous as possible, to be as known as possible, and he doesn't care how. He doesn't care about the details. He doesn't care about the specifics. It's look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And I'll be damned if this is not the clearest manifestation of that. Okay. All right, let's do one more. We're going to do Snowden. So the other day was um, World Press Freedom Day, and some U.S. figures couldn't help but hop in and virtue signal about how much they believe in it. So Kamala Harris said this, a free press is critical to democracy. On this World Press Freedom Day, we recognize the courage of journalists around the world, and we recommit ourselves to protecting and promoting a free and independent press everywhere. So Kamala said that. I believe uh, Secretary of State Blinken said that. All these top U.S. figures came out there and puffed their chest out and said, Yay, we believe in good things, and we don't believe in bad things, and here's my tweet on it. Um, and listen, this is one of those things where the media will come themselves because they're like, oh, they think we're important. They think we matter. We don't even think we matter. And we think we suck at our jobs, but they like us. And listen, I mean, this is like the opposite of something Trump would do. Trump, of course, all the time, fake news, fake news, fake news. He would go after the media and say shit like that. And so elite media despised him. Elite media generally likes Biden and Kamala. Okay, so only one problem with them saying this. Of course, in practice, they don't do what they preach. So Edward Snowden responded and said this. You're seeking a 175-year-long prison sentence for an internationally award-winning publisher of news, despite protests from the United Nations, Amnesty International, the ACLU, the world's leading newspapers top U.S. officials are talking about World Press Freedom Day and protecting a free and open press. At the same time, they're throwing the book at Julian Assange because Julian Assange showed U.S. war crimes. Don't get it twisted. That's why they hate him. That's why the deep state has had a hate boner for him for so long. Because Chelsea Manning had this sensitive material where our, our military was murdering civilians with drones and then circling back around and killing the first responders, Chelsea Manning had a conscience and said, I need to show the American people what's being done with their money in their name. So she released it to WikiLeaks and Julian Assange, and Julian Assange released it. You want to know why? Because that's what journalism is. That's what journalism is. That's what investigative reporting is. That's what you're supposed to do. Hey, if the American people knew this is what's going on in Iraq and Afghanistan, they wouldn't be as likely to support Iraq and Afghanistan, right? And lo and behold, that was true. The longer we were there, the more the support dropped. And now it's, Afghanistan is the most unpopular, even more unpopular than Vietnam. It's, it's in the teens, its approval rating. 
the Afghanistan war. And part of the reason for that is it was shown what we were really doing in these countries. So Julian Assange is a hero. Chelsea Manning is a hero. They are classic examples of whistleblowers. WikiLeaks is what the media should be doing. All the media. And they're throwing the book at them, and then they go on Twitter and virtue signal about how much they believe in a free press. Edward Snowden, another great example. Why is Edward Snowden hiding in Russia? Because U.S. officials want to throw the book at him, too. What was his crime? His crime was showing the American people that the NSA is illegally spying on all of us. The Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution protects you from unreasonable search and seizure. Edward Snowden said, oh, my God, the NSA is collecting metadata on all Americans. That's an unreasonable search. That's what that is. It's unconstitutional. It's against the Fourth Amendment. I can't sit with this on my conscience. I have to blow the whistle. I have to let the American people know what's going on. Did they have a warrant for all over 300 million Americans? No, but they spy on all of us. He leaked that fact to The Guardian and Glenn Greenwald, and now he's a pariah because of it, and they want to throw the book at him. Don't talk to me about press freedom. Do not talk to me about press freedom. You guys simply don't support it. In fact, you know what U.S. Media, what US politicians do is they leak to the media whatever stories they want them to run. And so effectively, we have state press in a way. The Pentagon does this the most, and the CIA and the deep state do this the most. They leak to their sources in the press, or they are the sources. They leak to their people in the press. Hey, if we get out of Afghanistan, there's going to be a lot of blowback, and the Taliban's going to take over. Maybe we have another 9-11. Run that story. It's an ex- exclusive scoop that you're getting from me, a CIA agent. And then the media runs those stories. That's what they mean by free press, a press that does our bidding, a press that does propaganda for us that protects power, is not adversarial towards power, it protects power. That's what they want. That's what they want. And by the way, anybody who questions the official narrative and really holds them accountable, oh my God, are they despised. I mean, great example, every new, YouTube left new media show is being destroyed by the algorithm. Why? Because we question power. CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News don't. They represent different wings of the establishment, Some represent the Democrats, some represent the Republicans, but both are wings of the establishment. They get pumped out there relentlessly. YouTube left new media gets destroyed by the algorithm. Our stuff isn't recommended to new people almost at all anymore. So anytime you question power and authority, you're despised by power and authority. And so when the power and authority virtue signals about how much they believe in a free press, you always remember Chelsea Manning, Julian Assange, and Edward Snowden. Reality Winner is another great example. Reality Winner, whistleblower. And she, of course, is uh, being destroyed and persecuted by the U.S. government. And then whenever there's leaks that make these charlatans look good, hands off and nobody throws the book at them. It's only when they're, they look bad that uh, there's consequences. They were saying this the other day. Somebody, was, somebody leaked the Osama bin Laden killing and the mission before uh, it was done, so therefore threatening the mission, but didn't matter because it made the people in power look good, and so they let it slide. 
see, this is the way that it works. If you protect power and authority, they will protect you. They will sing your praises. If you question them, they'll throw the book at you, and then they pretend like they're not even doing that. That's the part about it that drives me the most crazy, is the dishonesty of it. Like, if you're going to persecute Snowden and Assange and everybody who does their actual job, does real journalism, does real whistleblowing and, and exposés, if you're going to crack down on them, at least be honest enough to not tweet your virtue signaling bullshit about how much you love press freedom. But uh, they're going to do that no matter what, and our shitty corporate media is going to love them because, hey, Trump would never say anything like that. Trump would be an asshole to the media and crack down on Assange. You know, we want the, the politicians who are going to sing the praises of the media and crack down on Assange, who tell us we're awesome while cracking down on real journalists and whistleblowers. Incredibly sad, incredibly dumb, and I'm really happy that Snowden chimed in and ethered Kamala Harris. Okay. Let's take a break. When we come back, Trump undercuts McConnell, and we have right-wing conspiracies on the vaccine that are absolutely crazy. Stay right there, y'all. We'll be right back.
right, we're back, y'all. Oh, fuck, I just knocked my microphone off the stand. God damn it. Goddamn Loch Ness Monster. Okay. Oh, yeah, baby. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Where were we? Where were we, my lovely, lovely live listeners? We just talked about Snowden. Now let's get to Trump undercutting McConnell. This actually makes me happy. I get a sick pleasure out of this. It's actually not sick at all, I don't think. Donald Trump is uh, inadvertently messing with the Republican Party, and this makes me happy. So the title of this article that I'm about to show you a portion of is Trump Muddles Republican Messaging on Afghanistan. Um, Here's what it says. Donald Trump's hearty endorsement of pulling U.S. troops out of Afghanistan by September has undercut efforts by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and other key Republicans to question President Biden's strategy. More broadly, the president has focused the nation's attention on China as the United States' premier national security concern, putting pressure on Senate Republicans to support legislation from Chuck Schumer, uh, plans, to, plans to move to respond to Beijing's growing influence and power. McConnell is the most powerful Republican leader in Washington, but he doesn't have the same unrivaled platform that he did when he was in the same position, head of the minority opposition in Washington, at the start of former President Obama's tenure. McConnell has seized on Biden's announcement that he will withdraw all U.S. troops from Afghanistan as a prime example of him talking like a centrist, but governing from the left. Okay, so I want to give you some more here. Let's see. Al Cross, a professor of journalism at the University of Kentucky and a long time, uh, oh, I'm sorry, hold on. The GOP leader has warned that Biden has ordered a hasty total withdrawal from Afghanistan, hasty total hasty, that will leave coalition partners and vulnerable Afghans high and dry. He's setting a marker to say, I told you so when Afghanistan goes to hell, said a a strategist on this. He makes these little down payments on political investments that may turn out or may not. Then you have Senate Republican Whip John Thune, McConnell's potential successor, says Biden's decision is, quote, a big mistake and not the right move. So what's interesting is they go on in this piece to cite um, GOP strategists, and the GOP strategist is intelligent enough to be like, by the way, the actual base of the party, Republican voters, are with Trump. They're not with McConnell. They're not with Thune. They're not on the pro-war side. They're against the war. The other interesting thing is they point out that Trump very publicly supporting the withdrawal gives other Republicans cover, other elected Republicans cover, So there are some Republicans, mostly in the House, who are also against the war, and now they feel like, well, if Trump's against it, then that gives me the ability to be against it as well. Whereas if Trump was out of the equation completely and it was just McConnell, they would feel pressure from the leadership of the party 
to take the pro-war position. So I love this. I love this because Donald Trump, without even realizing it, is throwing a wrench in the approach of the Senate Republicans and current Republican leadership. But the thing I can't get over is that McConnell and Thune and all of these idiots, they really believe that they're going to win the debate. They're going to win the argument on the grounds of, we have to stay in Afghanistan because what about the poor Afghans? What will happen to them when we pull out? I can't believe Biden is doing such a quick and hasty withdrawal. We've been there for 20 years. And even if you say, okay, but from the announcement until the time we leave is too quick, that can't be true either because the original deadline was supposed to be May 1st and Biden pushed that back to September. There is no world in which this is a hasty withdrawal. But that's how they're talking about it. And they're saying, oh, what about our coalition partners who are leaving high and dry? I don't know at what point Senate Republicans totally lost touch with their marketing ability, but they've lost touch with their marketing ability. And just the fact that Trump interjects himself every now and then and says something, it fucks them over completely. And so, at least on this issue, they're in total disarray. Like, there is no coherent message, because Trump's against the war, the Senate Republicans are for the war, there's no coherent message, they're talking past each other, which leaves the lane wide open for Biden, and if they're really going to double down on the pro-war arguments, you're just making yourself more unpopular. And even Republican strategists are like, eh, don't say the pro-war stuff because nobody likes that anymore. So this is glorious. I love this. And I wish Trump would interfere on everything this way. You know what I mean? Now, this is an area where Trump nominally is correct. Don't give him too much credit because he could have pulled all the troops out, and he didn't. Even his May 1st deadline was not a full withdrawal. So don't give him too much credit. But if he were to interject every now and then, and just screw up McConnell's even more sinister plans. Don't get it twisted. McConnell's way worse than Trump. I just want you to understand that. So if Trump butts in every now and then and throws a wrench in their plans, I would love that. I would love that. So now the thing is, um, Biden's proposing like a $2 trillion infrastructure plan. McConnell is like, no, we'll do a $600 billion one, and we're going to get rid of all the tax increases on the wealthy. Bro, all it would take was, like, one comment from Trump of, like, $600 billion is not nearly big enough. And then McConnell and all the Republicans who are really in leadership now be like, fuck, God damn it. He keeps fucking with us. Just like Trump, how after the fact, he was like, I think $2,000 checks are the right number. The Republicans are like, we had just agreed on 600 We wanted to keep fucking people over more. And then this idiot has to hop in and screw over our evil plan. So I love it. I love it. I love the fact that he's totally unchained and unfiltered. Unfortunately, he's becoming more and more irrelevant. But yes, if every now and then he hops into the national dialogue to screw over McConnell, because remember, this is the main reason why he's doing it. He felt betrayed by Mitch McConnell. He felt betrayed by any Republican that even mildly entertained the argument of impeachment or that he was wrong with something he did on January 6th. So now we've got a bone to pick with Liz Cheney, with Mitch McConnell, with Kevin McCarthy, with all these people. 
And so he's going to keep fucking with them, and I love it. Keep fucking with them, Don. Keep reigniting that Republican civil war. Therefore, wasting your time fighting each other on that and leaving the lane wide open for even a pathetic, weak Democratic Party to continue notching victories. Because, yeah, if they're at each other's throats all the time and they're doing infighting, well, then Biden, even with his watered-down shitty plans and being half-dead, he gets to go out there and say, I think we should give people child care and universal pre-K. Where's my Percocet? But I also think that maybe we should create thousands of jobs within infrastructure. And Biden can even keep winning like that because the Republicans are at each other's throats. So by all means, thank you, Donnie. I really appreciate this. Okay. Next. Fox News is a terrible organization. I hate them. Uh, You should, too. But every now and then, they troll perfectly. And so this is a great example of that. They ran an ad absolutely obliterating Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York on Chris Cuomo's show. So you understand? Chris Cuomo has a CNN show, even though he shouldn't. And in the commercial breaks, Fox News bought ad time about a documentary on how evil Andrew Cuomo is. Watch. Many people thought you were the only one who was telling us anything. He's the most trusted Democratic leader in America. Purposely withheld a number of nursing home deaths due to COVID. New accusations of sexual harassment. I'm not going to resign. I am not part of a political club. And you know what? I'm proud of you. The collapse of Cuomo on Fox Nation. Goddamn, son. I have to say, I love this move. Now, listen, I haven't seen that documentary. I'm sure that there's going to be some right-wing garbage in that documentary. Although the things you saw in that ad were true. The criticisms in that ad were accurate. But I'm sure there's going to be some other stuff in there that's not accurate. It's neither here nor there. I love this trolling. And you got to admit, they're just better at it than the left is. Without a doubt, they're better at trolling. So there's a bunch of things to point out here. First of all, yes, CNN and Chris Cuomo in particular, he was giving chummy interviews to his brother as his brother was making horrendous decisions in New York during the COVID crisis. And he would throw softball down the center of the plate after softball down the center of the plate. And they'd be told, oh, you got Sunday dinners with Dad. Remember that? Oh, yeah, Mario Cuomo. Oh, he was amazing, that guy. And the spaghetti and the meatballs. Oh, yeah. They would just play patty cakes in the entire interview. So I'm holding the big Q-tip or whatever, joking around. 
So it was sheer propaganda. Then when stories broke, one of the scandals of the sexual harassment, for example, what did Chris Cuomo do? He came out on his show and he said, listen, I'm aware of what's going on, but obviously I can't cover it. He's my brother, but there are other people to cover it on the network, so we're going to move on. So in other words, when it's positive stuff, I'll have them on and do chummy interviews and talk endlessly about it. When it's negative stuff, oh, I'm, I'm going to step out because I'm biased, and so what am I going to do? I can't talk about it. It's my brother. You can talk about it when it's good stuff. You can't talk about it when it's bad stuff. The chummy interviews were criminal. How dare CNN let that go on? And then how dare they play defense after the scandals break? Scott Homeboy should have been fired a long time ago. Not for any cancel culture silly reasons. Because he's not doing his job. Anybody who doesn't do their job loses their job, except somehow in media where people fail up all the time. So, and then, listen, the biggest scandal is the nursing home death scandal. So, he signed an order allowing COVID-positive people back into nursing homes that exploded the number of COVID cases, led to so many deaths, and then they tried to cover it up, and they tried to hide it. And that's some criminal shit. On that, he should be impeached. On that specific thing, he should be impeached. Um, But here's the thing that they don't tell you on Fox News, and this is, again, to get back to the Fox News' bullshit point. What they don't tell you is that legislation, which also protected nursing homes, it was a liability shield, which made it so that, hey, we're going to let the COVID patients back in, but if anything happens, nobody can sue you. So if the family members say, what the fuck are you doing? You're letting COVID patients back in. And then my grandma, my grandpa died because you're an idiot and you let the COVID positive patients back in there. I'm going to sue you because that's reckless endangerment or whatever, manslaughter, whatever it is. Cuomo signed legislation protecting the nursing homes. No, nobody can sue you. We're going to do a liability shield. Why? Probably because the nursing home companies were campaign donors. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Open bribery, legalized bribery, corruption. That's what it is. So Fox News goes after him on this. Okay, good. What they don't tell you is Republicans copied that same legislation verbatim and supported it. So everybody going after Cuomo. Good, I'm glad. Go after Cuomo as much as you want. Anybody who doesn't tell you that Republican politicians all across this country copied that language verbatim and supported it, the exact language, they're liars. These are liars. They're charlatans. They're frauds. They're partisan hacks. Do you understand? So that's the part that they're never going to tell you that in this Fox Nation documentary, ever. They're never going to tell you that part. They'll tell you about the nursing home deaths, and they'll tell you about he protected the nursing homes. They won't tell you. Republicans 100% agreed with him and copied the language verbatim. So anyway, Andrew Cuomo getting obliterated during his brother's show on CNN. I love it. I love it. All right, now we are going to talk about Rick Wiles. This guy is one of my favorite crazy hosts. He's uh, 
evangelical fundamentalist Christian. He also is apocalyptic. He believes in the end times, completely psycho. So here's Rick Wiles. He's going to talk about the COVID vaccine. I always go to creepy Bible literalists for my science advice. Listen to what he has to say. I am not going to be vaccinated. I join you. I'm going to be one of the survivors. I'm going to survive the genocide. I am not going to allow the uh, COVID maniacs uh, to convince me to be vaccinated or vaccinate me against my will. I know what I'm reading. I know what I'm seeing. There is a mass death campaign underway right now, and I don't care what people, they can, they can write any article they want to write about me, they, they can do everything they can to deplatform me. I'm going to survive a global genocide. The only good thing that will come out of this is a lot of stupid people will be killed off. If the vaccine wipes out a lot of stupid people, well, we'll have a better world. I'm going to survive. I'm going to survive by God's grace, by his will. I'm going to survive the genocide. Where do we begin? The, uh, the only good thing that's going to come out of this is a lot of stupid people are going to be killed off and we'll have a better world. This guy fancies himself a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer in the hippie Marxist who was a hippie Marxist before hippies were a thing and Marxists were a thing. The peace-loving guy who's all about, bro, turn the other cheek, bro. You hit me on this side, I'll show you this side. And say, I'm a pacifist. All I care about is love. Love and empathy and kindness. That's what I'm all about. This guy thinks he's a follower of that guy. And he's like, you know what would be great? If a lot of stupid people got killed off because we'd have a better world. I mean, he's taking the position of like evolution, natural selection, dog-eat-dog world, only the strongest survive. He's taking that position as he proclaims, I'm a follower of Jesus and I believe in... Oh my goodness. Okay, so... I mean, there you have it. He said, I'm not vaccinated. I'm not going to get vaccinated. And hilariously ironic to say, I'm going to be one of the survivors. You're making it less likely that you'll be one of the survivors if you don't get vaccinated. The whole point of the vaccines is to make it so that you are a survivor. That's the whole point of them. I'm not going to get them. I'm going to be a survivor. So in other words, he's a believer in, you know, some grand conspiracy where the vaccines are the thing that is going to kill you. He thinks the vaccines are the genocide. You know what the real genocide is? The genocide is that we're not lifting the big pharma patent protections to allow everybody to make generic vaccines. Denying vaccines to the developing world, that's the genocide protecting big pharma's profits over the needs of poor farmers in India and in developing countries, that's the genocide. That's the genocide. The genocide is denying people the vaccine 
when we have the ability to get them generic vaccines, but we're not doing it because Pfizer wants to make more money. By the way, they made $3.5 billion in three months off their COVID vaccine. That's the genocide. The genocide is the patent protection and the intellectual property rights and rigidly enforcing that on behalf of Big Pharma. That's the genocide. He flipped it on his head. He says there's a mass death campaign underway right now. Guys, listen. Nobody hates Big Pharma more than me. I'll put my record of holding Big Pharma accountable up against anybody. Done a million segments on this show calling out Big Pharma over specific stuff. But that doesn't mean antibiotics don't work, and that doesn't mean vaccines don't work. They do work. They do. You don't need to take my word for it. Look at any of the studies on this. Look at the clinical trials that they just did for all the vaccines. You know, I learned a lot about them recently because before I got the vaccine, I wanted to learn more about it. I wanted to know what was going to go in my body. And when you look at the research, it is crystal clear. There's no ends, ifs, or buts about it. It's not up in the air. It's not a close call. In the clinical trials for all the vaccines, for all of them, there's a number of vaccines out there for COVID-19, all the clinical trials. Not a single person was hospitalized or died from COVID after getting any of the vaccines. Not a single person. Tens of thousands of people, not a single one was hospitalized or died after getting the vaccine. Now, different trials happened at different times in the outbreak. So some vaccines, they say, are 95% effective. Some, some are 90% effective. The one I got, the Johnson & Johnson one, is 66% effective. But it also, they studied the Johnson & Johnson one at a time when COVID was peaking in Brazil. So in other words, some people got COVID after getting the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, but the symptoms were mild. That's the whole point. Is you're either, if you get the vaccine, you're either not going to get sick when you get COVID, or if you do get sick, it'll be like a cold or some shit. That's the point of the vaccines, and they work. We've had this technology for such a long time. Now, to be fair, the mRNA one is the new kind of vaccine. We haven't had that one for a long time, but they've been working on it for a long time. Uh, the one that I got, the Johnson & Johnson, which is the same as the um, AstraZeneca one, that vaccine technology has been around for a really long time. You basically take a dead version of the virus. In, in the Johnson & Johnson case, it's an adenovirus that they make to mimic COVID-19, a dead version of the virus, and they inject it in you. And then your, body, your body's immune system learns, oh, I'm going to create antibodies for this thing, so if we ever get it again, we'll take care of it immediately. And that's exactly what happens. And so after you get the vaccine, you're not going to get COVID-19, and if you do, it's going to be very mild. That's the whole point. And all the clinical trials show that. It, again, it's not even close, guys. Just familiarize yourself with the evidence on this, the data on this, the studies on this. You know, and most, the numbers show most anti-vaxxers are on the far right, like this guy. But there are actually plenty who are on the left, unfortunately, you know. Um, again, you could hate Big Farm as much as you want. I hate it as much as anybody else. But that shit works. But that shit works. The vaccine fucking works. So, man, and then you hear people like this and you say, all right, you want to throw yourself in league with, with this clown? Be my guest. But he's certainly not basing his beliefs off the evidence and the data. No way he's doing that. And even if you bring up, like, so, the, the, the blood clot scare. Guys, the chances of getting blood clots from birth control, one in 10,000. The chances of getting blood clots from... Um, the Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine, one in 500,000. And nobody thinks about birth control. Oh, my God. Whoa, the real risk you're taking there. 
So it's a very, very, very rare side effect that is treatable if you catch it. That's part of the reason why they froze it for a second, but there's a reason why they resumed it. Unfortunately, now the PR is, it, the ship has sailed, and it's now over 50% of the public doesn't want the Johnson & Johnson. They'd rather have the mRNA one. Um, but listen, I'm here to tell you the facts on this stuff. And this guy's a complete fucking idiot. He really thinks that the vaccine is the long-term genocide program. Nonsense. By the way, here's another way you know that that's the case. If there was going to be some sort of purposeful genocide, the first people they would go after are the poorest people in the, country, in the world. Those would be first in line. And guess what? Those people are not getting the vaccine. They're fucking last in line to get the vaccine. It's all people in rich countries who are getting the vaccine. Donald Trump. Donald Trump got the vaccine as soon as he could. That's the story we learned. He did it quietly, but he got the vaccine as soon as he could. Joe Biden got the vaccine. There's a reason why it's the wealthy who are first in line for this shit. Because they fucking know it works. Instead, he flips the reality on its head. He thinks the genocide is the vaccine. No, the genocide is the denial of the vaccine. To the developing world. So anyway, there you have it. It turns out a guy who's super evangelical Christian, super fundamentalist, Bible literalist, turns out his reasoning skills are not that good. All right, next. The other day we showed you the video of uh, the woke CIA. They were leaning into identity politics and wokeness, trying to recruit the younger generation. Well, apparently there's a whole series of these things. It's called Humans of the CIA or something like that. And here's another one. Get ready to cringe. My favorite thing about CIA is that they encourage the -the out-of-the-box ideas that drive real progress. Growing up gay in a small southern town, I was lucky to have a wonderful and accepting family. I always struggled with the idea that I might not be able to discuss my personal life at work. Imagine my surprise when I was taking my oath at CIA and I noticed a rainbow on then-director Brennan's lanyard, which I later learned was designed by Angle, one of the many employee resource groups here at the agency. I remember being stunned. Since then, however, I've learned that far beyond the resource group, inclusion is a core value here. Officers from the top down work hard to ensure that every single person, whatever their gender, gender identity, race, disability, or sexual orientation, can bring their entire self to work every day. Shoot me in the face. Dude with a septum ring. When I got this job, listen, I I had it tough. I grew up gay in the South. And so when I was looking for a job to be the drone operator to assassinate innocent people overseas, I hope people would accept me as I am. Oh, my God, this is so unbearable. He said, like, I was afraid that I'd have to hide my sexuality at work. But you don't have to at the CIA. By the way, what a weird weird thing to say. Hide your sexuality at work. Like, I, I was under the impression that at work you're just supposed to sort of, in any way, shape, or form, 
talk about sex or get involved with sex like you're at work. You're supposed to work. You know, it's not like the workplace would be really inviting if somebody was like, just so you know, I'm a heterosexual man and I sure do like fat asses. If you said that at work, they'd be like, whoa, Jeff, nobody asked you. Shut the fuck up. You're a weirdo. But he says it like it'd be cool if gay people do that at work. Just so everybody knows, I'm really gay. And, again, I was afraid I'd have to hide my sexuality at work. Doesn't everybody have to not talk about sex at work? Isn't that like the whole point? It's work. Anyway, I digress. It's a side point. He brings up how, oh, Brennan was wearing a rainbow flag when I was there. Brennan is the guy who was the architect of the drone program. The illegal drone program which killed massive numbers of civilians. I mean, this is beyond parody at this point. What they want is a rainbow coalition of people that all do war crimes together and torture and torture apologetics. I mean, again, you couldn't get a clear example of this. It's like those, it's like the, um, the meme that was going around. You had a, a traditional fighter jet dropping bombs, and then you have another fighter, fighter jet that has Black Lives Matter and a rainbow flag on it dropping bombs. So they're doing the same thing, just one is inclusive and diverse and the other one is not. The other one just has like an American flag and a bald eagle or some shit like that. You know, like the other cartoon of like bombs being dropped from a drone and the people who are having it dropped on them say, I heard a woman sent these ones. Well, it really makes you feel like you're a part of history, huh? That's what this is. That's what this is. And he even goes through the list. Oh, at the CIA, your gender, your gender identity, your race, your disability, your sexual orientation, none of that matters. As long as you're pro-war crimes and torture, you're welcome. As long as you're in favor of overthrowing democratically elected governments while cynically saying we're doing it for democracy, we welcome you. Serious question, serious question. Who the fuck is this working on? Who is this working on? Because generally speaking, younger people are way more onto what goes on in this country. They understand, they're more well-researched, they understand what neoconservatism is, they understand what imperialism is. They understand a lot more about politics and philosophy and theory. And so who are you appealing to? Who exactly are you appealing to? One of the functions of this is it allows the deep state and the military industrial complex and the establishment to feign left credentials. That's what it is. And so you also see corporations sort of embracing this stuff now. It's a lot easier for a corporation to have the CEO take a knee, put a fist up, say Black Lives Matter, wear a rainbow flag, say we love trans people, whatever it may be. It's a lot easier for them to do that than to allow their people to unionize, raise wages, provide everybody health care, be a, you know, just a better employer overall. In terms of Wall Street, they would love to put the smiley face on fraud as their business model. The military industrial complex would love to throw diversity in your face to make up for the fact that war crimes are a daily occurrence. That's what it really is all about. Hey, if we wokeify it, maybe the left will be more hands-off. Maybe the left will 
fall in line. And, and this is really about controlling the Overton window. So the right flank of the Overton window is supposed to be super nationalistic, religious, you know, doctrinaire on social issues, conservative on those things. And then the left flank of the Overton window, what they want is somebody who's open-minded on race, gender identity, sexual orientation, everything you can name, open-minded on all the social issue stuff, but everybody on, within this spectrum agrees and believes in U.S. imperialism and hegemony. That's what they want. That's what they want. Let's hope it's not landing. And let's hope everybody sees see through it like we do, because I'll tell you, this is very transparent and very gross. So the idiots on Fox News are going to go after Joe Biden for his very moderate plans on infrastructure and taxes and some other stuff. Look at the terrible arguments they use. Dana Perino, I think what I, I was getting at there is that, is that Republicans are the only one pumping the brakes here on Democrats expanding government. Every time they get power, they want to just spend more and grow the government more and more and more. So we're the only ones stopping them. If we weren't here, it would just be a full socialist takeover. And I think this is actually a more useful direction that this conversation is going beyond just the eye-popping numbers that he wants to spend. Is how does he want to spend it? Um, why, it's like a whole different shift of having government be in control of even more things. How has that worked out in the past? You look at Europe um, in terms of uh, innovation and economic growth. Um, one of the reasons that their militaries are so um, basically weak and hobbled is because they have all of these entitlements that they continue to build to grow, and that spending never stops. It's also a problem here. You know, the rest of our budget gets squeezed because we never want to deal with those uh, programs like Social Security and Medicare. The rest of our budget gets squeezed because we don't want to cut Social Security and Medicare. She picked the two most popular U.S. government programs to say, oh, these really popular things are getting in the way of all this unpopular shit I want to do, like grow the military even more. Uh, I mean, it's amazing, but I, I also love it. I love it because at least it's honest. At least it's straightforward. I mean, look at her argument. She's like, well, how does Biden want to spend this money? I don't know why you're asking that as a question. We know he released the plan. He wants, you know, universal pre-K, universal child care. He wants um, job creation. In fact, here, I think I have, yes, I have an article up that will tell you some of the specifics. Again, I don't know why you're phrasing this as a, as a question that we don't know the answer to. He wants to spend $621 billion on transportation stuff, rebuilding our infrastructure, roads, bridges, railways, so on and so forth. He wants to spend $400 billion for home care services. So workforce for people at home, caregiving for aging and disabled Americans. He wants $300 billion to reinvigorate U.S. manufacturing. He wants $213 billion for housing. Again, this is all checkable. He wants uh, $180 billion for research and development to upgrade 
our technologies, for example, and make us a leader when it comes to innovation and climate science and things of that nature. He wants $111 billion to upgrade our waterways and get rid of lead pipes, for example. He wants $100 billion for our schools. Digital infrastructure, $100 billion spent. Workforce development, that's job training, $100 billion for that. Veterans hospitals and federal buildings, $18 billion. And then the way he pays for it, corporate tax hike, a, you know, an increase on the top marginal rate. Guys, I mean, all this stuff's out there. She's posing it as if it's like a question. She's like, how does Biden want to spend this money? He wants to spend it on things that are colossally popular. Again, more on that. 64% support his uh, child care proposal. 63% support his universal pre-K proposal. 59% support free community college. She's like, how does he want to spend this money? He wants to spend it on all these popular things, and you're not going into the details because you fucking know it's popular. And her argument is, well, look at Europe. One of the reasons their militaries are so weak is their entitlements, and the spending never stops on that. That's awesome. I want that. I want to cut back on our military spending. I want to use that money for the people. Who doesn't want to do that? Most Americans agree with me on that. Guys, we spend more than at least the next 10 biggest nations combined on the military. And most of them are our allies. What are we doing? Endless war is something that you think is money better spent? But the answer is yes, because she says Social Security, Medicare, get in the way. Get in the way of what? Spending more than the next 30 biggest nations combined? Get in the way of what? What are you talking about? But she admits it. Cut Social Security and Medicare. And don't you dare be like Europe where they self-report being a lot happier and where they beat us empirically on a lot of these areas, like healthcare, for example. So there's, she just admits it. And I love the Jesse Waters part where he's like, if it wasn't for the Republicans, we'd, there'd be a full socialist takeover. I wish, dipshit, I wish. I wish. I wish the Democrats were at least social democratic. Only a handful of them are. But I wish they were social democratic. And God forbid, there's not a single politician, elected politician at the national level in the country who says workers should own the means of production and distribution. That would be actually socialist. So he's just wrong. Like, of course, the Democrats are not for a full socialist takeover. But if we lived in the world where Democrats were for these more bold policies across the board, then uh, the Republicans would lose a lot more, just like what happened with uh, FDR. He won four times because he actually delivered on some basic social democratic stuff. All right, I got more for you. Fox News and socialism. This clip is special, and Greg Gutfeld is very special needs. So he um, is going to make this point about people don't even know what socialism is nowadays, and it's really fucking dumb. And right after he says that, he goes on to show he's one of the people who doesn't really know anything about socialism. Watch. Dana Perino, Oops, I wrong one. Um, here's, the problem with, here's the problem with this debate. It's not the 1980s anymore. If you call something socialism, it's not going to persuade a population that has no idea what it means. No one's being educated anymore about socialism. They don't know anything about USSR. They haven't read any history books or world history on socialism. They don't know what it means. So cradle-to-grave government actually sounds pretty good. It's like, wow, that's awesome. That means the government's going to be with me until I die. I don't have to worry about anything. And the thing is, the reason why they think that way, and it's natural, is because no one's explained to them succinctly 
the trade-offs, obviously this comes with a price. And you need to tell them, okay, if you turn everything over to government, number one, you can't afford it, the country goes broke. And when there's an emergency, number two, let's say like a war, your military will be, uh, will be hogtied. Uh, you, the goods and services will not meet the standards of private industry. So what you pay for, i.e. Amtrak or the mail, is nothing like what FedEx could do. So it all over time goes to hell in terms of quality. The individual is less inclined to um, achieve greatness if they know if they don't have to, they're still going to get a free meal and a free X and a free Y. You don't have to work so hard. And then lastly, you just run out of rich people, right? Because either they go broke broke or they leave. Literally every part of that was dead wrong. Every single part of that. Every part of that. So, I mean, you saw, he's a, people don't even understand what socialism is anymore. And then he goes on to show, he doesn't understand what socialism is. How are you going to talk about socialism and make that point, and then you don't even provide a definition? You don't even provide a definition. Now, listen, you can define it in a number of different ways. Some would argue it's Marx's idea of, it's like, you know, the transitionary phase between capitalism and full communism. Some would say it's that. Others would say it's just workers owning the means of production and distribution. You know, some people consider social democracy to be flat socialist. Some people don't. But whatever. He says people don't even know what socialism is anymore. And then he doesn't even provide a definition. How do you do that? Oh, my God, this is so crazy. It's so annoying having to break down these objectively shitty arguments. He says it's not the 1980s anymore, so just saying socialism isn't going to work to turn people off to it. In other words, he's saying in the 1980s, all you had to do was say socialism, and everybody would be like, yeah, that's terrible. We agree. So what he wants is a population that's massively propagandized. See, he says, I want you to think about it. I don't want you to turn your brain off. But actually what he's arguing for, if you want to go back to the 1980s with the socialism discourse, you're arguing for more people turning their brains off and not thinking about it. That's what he wants. He wants everybody to be just scared and to shut their brain off when that, you know, boogeyman word comes up. And then he goes on to say, he, the closest he gets to defining socialism is he says, cradle to grave government. And he says, hey, that sounds good to people. Yeah, you want to know why it sounds good to people? Because the ways in which social democrats propose that, it is good. That's why it sounds good to people. Because it's not the government takes over everything, that ridiculous straw man. No, it's the bare minimum basic necessities of life to even give people a shot at equal opportunity. That's why it sounds good, because the things that we're talking about taking off the table for the people are reasonable things to take off the table for people. Um, He said, nobody has explained the trade-offs. If you turn everything over to the government, you can't afford it. Now, by the way, nonsense. He's arguing fundamentally against more of a social democratic system. And first of all, they don't turn everything over to the government. They simply don't do that. That's not true. And also, of course you can afford it. It's called raise taxes on the wealthy. Now, we'll get back to that point because he thinks he has an argument against that, too, even though he doesn't. But, of course, you can afford it. And if you have your own sovereign currency, you don't even necessarily need to afford it. In other words, you could still deficit spend and be fine. He would argue against that, too, but he would be wrong, and history would prove him wrong. So the idea that you can't afford it is just such a cop-out. It's such a fucking cop-out because we always spend on things that we prioritize. For example, we prioritize Wall Street bailouts. We can afford it. 
We prioritized injecting $1.5 trillion in one day into financial institutions during the market downturn during COVID. We can afford it. We fucking did it. We did it. We just did it. We do the Wall Street bailouts. We do the endless military spending. Of course you can afford it. You can do whatever the fuck you want to do if you're a sovereign government. And that's what we are. So it's just a matter of what do you prioritize. Uh, then he says, oh, one of the downsides is that the military will be hogtied. The fuck are you talking about? So it necessarily follows that you need to have a weak or non-existent military if you have social democratic programs. That's just not true. We already have some social democratic programs, and we have a freakishly large military, which does need to be cut, by the way. But we have Social Security. We have Medicare. We have some government programs, and we have a really strong military. Those things are not connected at all. You could either have a big military or a small military or something in the middle, and you could either have social democratic programs or not. Those things aren't tied to each other at all. Uh, and then he says, the goods and services provided won't be as good as the private sector. In some, in some specific industries, I think that's true. But in a lot of the industries that we're talking about nationalizing or socializing, he's just wrong. Like, for example... The healthcare system in Canada and the healthcare system in the UK is way better than the healthcare system here. And we have a private healthcare system. They have a totally public healthcare system in the UK. Theirs beats ours. So it's not a matter of like government bad, private sector good. It's a matter of the specifics and the logistics and how well it's managed and who's in control. That's what it comes down to. It has nothing to do with, you know, private sector good, public sector bad, or public sector good, private sector bad. It all depends on the specifics, but he just wants to be a sloppy thinker and say the goods and services won't be as good. Um, and then finally, he says, the individual is less inclined to achieve greatness and work hard, and there's going to be fewer rich people. We know that's not true. And by the way, did Sweden run out of rich people? Did any of the Scandinavian countries run out of rich people? Did even like Australia or the UK, did they run out of rich people for being further left on the spectrum than us and more social democratic than us? Is that what happened? No, it didn't happen. You're going to run out of rich people. I mean, that's just, that's an old trope that's always as dumb as it sounds. And even to the idea that, oh, if you have some sort of social democracy or some socialist-like system, the individual is less inclined to achieve greatness and work hard, we just saw the results of the UBI study in California, Stockton, California. And you know what they found? Literally, when you give people money, when you give people money, they spend it on the most important things, the most reasonable things, the most rational things. They spend it on rent. They spend it on their electric bill. They spend it on food. It, it, they spent it in a very responsible way. So if you give people the bare minimums, they don't check out. The overwhelming majority of people are going to say, okay, great, now I have some bare minimums. Now let me continue to go out there and try to make the most of myself and the best of myself and try to be successful and try to do things that are fulfilling. It's not going to make you less inclined to work hard or achieve greatness. We learned from that UBI study, among others, when you give people support for the bare minimums, they're like, great, now I can take a deep breath and I have a little bit more cushion to go out there and, and do what's best for myself and my family. So he's just wrong. And the, I will never get over the irony of people don't even understand what socialism is. And then he goes on to show he doesn't understand. Didn't even provide a definition. Didn't even provide a wrong definition. Never mind a definition. People don't understand what socialism is. And so now I'm going to say it's, I guess, cradle to grave government. 
and socialism is when you can't afford it and when the military is hogtied and the goods and services suck and when the individual is less inclined to achieve greatness and socialism is when you run out of rich people. I don't know how anybody watches this and thinks it's good, but there are some people out there. All right, final story of the day. So Josh Hawley is the supposed populist Republican, the furthest left Republican, namely on economic issues. But uh, the mask slipped a little bit. Check this out. Just think about it in terms of what's better for America, not Democrat, Republican, what's going to grow America more? What's going to grow America more? What's going to make us more competitive, stronger? What's going to make us better educated? And the good news is I think there's overwhelming bipartisan support for this. If you look at the polling data, Republican voters overwhelmingly support it. Now I just got to get some of my Republican colleagues to support it. Well, we know who he's talking about, guys in the Senate. Let's bring in Republican Senator from Missouri, Josh Hawley, author of a brand new book, comes out today. It's called The Tyranny of Big Tech. Good morning to you, Senator. Good morning. Good morning. So, according to the president, uh, overwhelming support, bipartisan support, Republicans across the country support it, but he needs some of you uh, Republicans in the Senate to support it. Mitch McConnell said yesterday, there's not one senator on the Republican side going to support it. Yeah, I certainly hope that that's right. I don't know what Republicans that uh, President Biden is talking to across the country, but it's nobody who lives in Missouri. I mean, listen, I can't imagine that there's Republican support for bringing socialism to America, which is basically what his plan is. And he's proposed now $4 trillion in new big government spending just in the last month. This is on top of the $2 trillion he's already spent this year. He's mortgaging everybody's future in order to do what? Fund a bunch of liberal pet projects, cancel energy jobs, let China run away with the global competition. I mean, it's just it's crazy stuff that he's proposing to do, and I don't think there's any broad-based support for it, certainly not among Republicans or independents. That is factually wrong, and he knows it's factually wrong. Biden is 100% correct that they're, according to the polling data, the country loves these proposals, and a lot of Republicans love these proposals. So he's just wrong, and Josh Hawley is smart enough to know that he's fucking wrong, and that he's lying through his teeth there. So I don't want to hear a goddamn word about populist Republicans, okay? They don't exist. There, there are Republican voters who are relatively populist. There's plenty of people who are, like, socially conservative, but they're part of a union, for example. That would be a populist Republican. Josh Hawley ain't no fucking populist, okay? This is a guy who supported a bunch of the outsourcing deals, he didn't even support the $15 minimum wage. And you want to talk about, you're a populist. My ass cheeks on you're a populist. So let's talk about Biden's plans that he says, hey, this is good for America and you got broad support for it. Let's talk about it. He's talking about $621 billion for transportation. So in other words, improve road, bridges, railways, and other infrastructure. Um, he's talking about home care services and workforce, spending $400 billion for that. It, it makes it so that you have caregiving for the elderly and disabled Americans. He wants to spend $300 billion uh, to boost U.S. manufacturing, which, again, is something a populist is supposed to be in favor of. Spend money to boost U.S. manufacturing? Of course I, they should be in favor of that. Uh, wants to spend $213 billion on housing, 
I think that's really important. And for people who don't like the fact that there's a lot of homeless people out there, you want to clean up the streets, you should support this. $180 billion for research and development to make the U.S. a leader in critical technology. Uh, $111 billion upgrading our water infrastructure. So getting rid of all the lead pipes, for example, and things of that nature. 400,000 schools and childcare facilities have exposure to lead pipes. He wants to upgrade that. Spend $100 billion on schools, $100 billion on digital infrastructure, which is colossally important in order to keep us globally competitive. Um, workforce development, $100 billion. Job training, that would be. Veterans hospitals and federal buildings, $18 billion. And he funds it through a freaking corporate tax hike. I mean, there's no better way to fund this and get rid of corporate inversions, which is tax dodging for cheating corporations. So that's what's in this, Josh Hawley. Tell me specifically which things you don't like of those. Tell me. Tell me. Oh, you couldn't give the specifics because if you gave the specifics and you came out against it, you wouldn't look like the dipshit that you are. You're not a fucking populist. You're a fraud. And by the way, to further make the point, new poll just came out, Morning Consult. What percentage of the American people support Biden's affordable child care plan? 64%. Universal pre-K, 63%. Free community college, 59%. You go through the specifics, people support this plan. Even a lot of Republicans support this plan. So he's full of shit. He's full of shit. He's not a fucking populist. He postures every now and then to pretend like he's a populist. I'm going to put it very simply. If you consider yourself populist and you're a Republican or you're on the right, if you can't look at Biden's moderate infrastructure proposal and moderate tax proposal and weak social democratic plans, if you can't support that, then you're just simply not a fucking populist because an actual populist would support this. The, the Republican voter I described before who's in a union and is economically left but socially conservative, they would support this. Who do you think makes up the, some of the people uh, who are the Republican voters who support this? It's people like that. That would be a populist Republican. He ain't no fucking populist. A populist would support these moderate proposals to upgrade our infrastructure. Pines is not even proposing $5 trillion, which is about what you need to upgrade it sufficiently. He's not even pro- proposing that. You can't support this bare minimum proposal? Really? Well, then you're not a populist. Save me your fucking bullshit, and congratulations chasing the mythical voter who's like, I'm super fiscally conservative, and I want the country to keep falling apart so corporations can get another tax cut. You can't say you're a populist and then make those arguments, and that's exactly what he's doing because he's a fraud. All right, guys. We're out of time, baby. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Much love. Peace.